Just a heads up, this is a feel-good podcast, but we do talk about some mental health issues. So remember, if you or a mate needs help, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 and check out our show notes for more helpful resources. Your shirts, you have lots of colourful shirts. Uh, just like, where do you get them? Uh, I have my own personal couturier, uh, <laughs> my wife. Uh, so my wife makes my shirts. It, uh, they're always out of cotton. They take three hours to make. Uh, she does most of the work with a four-thread overlocker with differential feed and the rest of it on a sewing machine. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Impressive I have, lady. I'm yeah. very lucky. Uh, and I've got two pockets. The Fisher Space Pen over here, which will write uh, underwater and uphill. And over here I have paper, which is not made of carbon but silicon. So uh, it's waterproof. So if I happen huh. to be simultaneously nude in the shower with my shirt on <laughs> and I have a brilliant thought, I can then write it down in the shower. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet, but one day I'm ready for it. <laughs> if, if ever it happens. If it happens. Yeah. It's a very I'm likely scenario. <laughs> hey there, you're listening to Good Talk Great Mate, a podcast made by young people for young people. Come join us for a chat on the banks of the Namoy River. So sit back and relax. Your mental break starts now. Dr. Carl, you are smashing it out. Yeah. Oh, well. you, are so, you are too good at this. I can tell you've had your practice. Believe it or not, practice can make you better. Yeah. I know. And in three. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Kate Weeks. And I'm Alex Myerson. And we're coming to you today from Narrabri's University of Sydney Plant Breeding Institute on Camilleroy Country. And if you haven't guessed, we have an extraordinary guest with us today. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Dr. Carl. Yeah. Woo. I'm, I'm not worthy. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Amazing. Thank you. This man is as bright and entertaining as his trademark shirts. Dr. Carl radiates enthusiasm. He's a professional dabbler in the medical, mechanical, engineering, scientific and podcasting industries. He has even had an asteroid named after him, which is pretty phenomenal. Out of this world, if you ask me. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Um, we're just wondering, what, what brings you here to Narrabri? Um, I came here as part of the University of Sydney. I had to do a bunch of speaking gigs and then to attend the Narrabri. Now, what's the official name? Festival Day, Show Day... Glorification of all things agricultural in Narrabri. What's the official name of the day? Field, Field day. day. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we now know the official name. And I'm here to um, uh, learn and, and find out stuff. Like I had no idea that, um, which I found out from Izzy as she was driving me in, that wheat is hexaploid. I had no idea. Why wasn't I told? And it was actually bred that way by people in the Middle East about 11,000 years ago. So, so we we clearly know yeah, what, what yeah, hexaploid definitely. is, but for, yeah, for anyone I mean. else who who doesn't know, mm. can you explain yeah. what hexaploid is? Well, um, it means two sets of three. So we are quadruploid, I guess. So we've got one set of DNA, like which is a ladder, you know, the ladder of life. Um, it's about three meters long. It's like a ladder in your backyard, except. While it's three metres long, instead of having a dozen rungs, it's got three billion rungs. And one of the great discoveries of the 20th century was that any three of those rungs can act as instructions into the internal cellular machinery of a cell to set off a pathway that manufactures a protein. So when you um, make babies, you have two different sets of DNA coming together. So that's, um, I guess, quadruploid, but with wheat, it's hexaploid. 
there's three sets, and this apparently gives um, advantages which I'm still trying to understand. So, um, as you can tell, my genetics of wheat knowledge is very poor, <laughs> so I can't explain further. But they bred the wheat, they, the people in the Middle East, bred it about 11,000 years ago. Wow. That's fun fact. Something I, guess. I didn't know. Yeah. So, can I ask, what does a normal day look like to you? Um, well, there's two roller coaster days in my week which are Wednesday and Thursday, and they're basically days over which I have no control. Mm. Uh, whatever the diary says, I do. So there's on, on those days I do a total of um, maybe half a dozen or so radio shows around Australia and the world. So talkback radio with um, Cairns and Townsville and Brisbane and Triple J in Sydney and Melbourne and Victoria Regionals and Hobart and... Perth and Darwin, and I'll bet a dollar that uh, you didn't know that there is in Johannesburg in South Africa a Jewish children's radio station. Oh, <laughs> I owe you I a can't dollar. Say I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that either. So they all happen on the um, Wednesday and the Thursday, and I have no control over the timing. Plus, on the Wednesday afternoon, I do two school Q and A's with schools somewhere in the world, usually Australia, over the internet. And at the rate I'm going, I should get through all the schools in Australia in about a century. <laughs> and then yeah. um, Tuesday and Monday and Saturday are spent, hopefully, I'd like them to be creative days, um, but they keep on getting swallowed up as admin days. Yeah. And I prefer creative days uh, rather than admin days. And the creative days, I just read my way through the scientific literature and find out all this weird sort of stuff, like by making an antenna the size of our galaxy out of uh, neutron stars, we were able to pick up um, background gravitational waves uh, distorting the fabric of space-time. And uh, right now, that's really uh, totally um, abstract, but in your lifetime, it could be a toy for your children or nephews or nieces. So if you look at the time scale, uh, in 1903, we couldn't fly aeroplanes in a controlled fashion. In 1969, one human lifetime, we got to the moon and back. So I'm thinking the same sort of rate of human uh, scientific change will continue and it will um, probably, instead of just being able to detect gravitational waves, be able to manufacture them and have something like we really need the hoverboard from Back to the Future too. <laughs> so, so with this in mind, how do you retain all this really random and quirky information? Um, it's a three-part process. Mm. The first part uh, depends on um, the fact that once upon a time the Australian government thought that education was a worthwhile investment in the future. It yeah. doesn't now. It sees it as a way of extracting money from the citizens and it sets up a supply and demand situation where in private schools the students get $100,000 per year per student from the government, whereas in government schools they only get about seven to 13000 Australia is the only country in the world where um, private schools actually get money from the government. Yeah. It's a rip-off. And so I was lucky enough uh, back then when Australia hadn't gone down that pathway, so I was able to get 28 years of education for free, starting off in baby jail and working my way through into primary school, high school, and then 16 years at university. So I'm extremely well educated with degrees in physics and mathematics and uh, biomedical engineering when I designed and built a machine for Fred Hollows to pick up electrical signals off the human retina, as well as degrees in medicine and surgery and I was a doctor at the kids' hospital, as well as several non-degree years in study just for fun to route me off and fill in gaps in my education with um, non-degree years in astrophysics, computer science, um, uh, electrical engineering and philosophy. So that's that's the first part. You've got to have a good education. Can you count how many degrees you have? Four. On your fingers? 
Oh. Physics and maths, mm-hmm. biomedical engineering, medicine and surgery. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. So part two of the process is having um, got a good education, the second part is to use that education to keep up to date. So I read my way through about $10,000 worth of scientific literature every year, which is a pile about um, two and a half, three metres thick. There there are gaps, I don't get through all of it, and I read a lot of stuff off the web, um, and I find stuff that's quirky wherever I can. But reading it is not enough. The important part is to turn it into a story. Let me illustrate. So a couple of weeks ago, there was a banging on the door in the middle of the night. And I'm thinking, this is a bit weird. And go and peek out the window. And there's this huge limousine parked out in the street at 2 o'clock in the morning with this enormous gorilla-type human, big bulky person. And the knocking's still going on the side door. So I say, hang on, honey. I'll go downstairs. And I looked at, uh, I go down, and there's Kim Kardashian. And uh, she says, hi, Dr. Carl. Can you grab... <laughs> Uh, your wife and your passport. Um, I've got a surprise for you. Being a big fan, and so she, uh, we grab our passports, and she says we're going to travel in a private jet. I've never travelled in a private jet, and so we end up in Washington D.C., where we have a nude mud bath with the leaders, world leaders, who we discover all shape-changing reptiles from the planet Zog. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to stop right there. I told you a story. Um- Right? <laughs> yeah. Can you tell that story to somebody else? Yes, yes. Okay, so that's I've a story. got that one now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you can tell that story to somebody else. How come? If I gave you the th- told if I, me. No. If I gave you the thousand words in that story mm. and asked you to give them to me in alphabetical order, you couldn't. Yeah, no, that's true. So it turns out that your brain, as part of us um, being uh, moderately intelligent animals and also the Dunbar's number, that uh, we value storytelling and there's special parts of our brain that are wired up to tell stories. Yeah. Like with a, with a, let me do a little diversion here. Suppose you um, look at a picture of somebody in your family. You don't start scanning it at the very top and scan across uh, left to right, left to right, left to right, top to bottom and gradually work out all the brightnesses and then say, oh, that's a picture of my niece. You just look at it and then um, there's areas at the back of your head, the Brodman's areas uh, 18, 19 and 20, that do a lot of processing and instantly you say, that's my niece. In the same way, there are parts of your brain dedicated to telling stories. We humans tell, spend a lot of time telling stories. You know, videos and YouTubes um, and TikToks, I turn everything into a story because the brain is wired to understand stories. Mm. Um you, you probably haven't heard of Dunbar's number. So um, if you look at primates, you know, two-legged animals, this is explaining how I remember stuff, right? This is the, this is a long and complicated answer to how I remember stuff. With uh, Dunbar's number, what you do is you look at uh, two-legged animals. There's a whole bunch of them, some with big forebrains. So in your skull, you've got a, uh, you know, the, the core brain, the basal brain, uh, which does things like heart rate and breathing, and you don't have to think about that, the brainstem. And then above that, you've got the stuff to do with vision and hearing and motor and moving and reflexes. And then right at the front, you've got the prefrontal cortex. And in some of the two-legged animals, which have got really small brains, they hang around in a group of two. I pick uh, fleas off you, you pick fleas off me. Occasionally we grunt, that's it. Uh, and as the forebrain gets bigger... They, the size of the group gets bigger. They start developing a language until finally, and then if you plot this on a log-log graph, you know, so the size, the volume of the forebrain versus the size of the group, you end up with humans uh, having a big forebrain and having a natural group size of somewhere between 
100 and 250, usually about 150 or so. And we keep that uh, core group together by telling stories. All the time we tell each other stories. That's our whole life, dreams of stories. We're always telling each other stories about how we went through life. Um, and so you, you can see Dunbar's number working in um, platoons in the military, about 100 people or so, the size of the people you normally communicate with in your local group. Um, the cent- Roman centurions, when uh, had, had a group of 100 people that they controlled, uh, when an um, American fundamentalist um, religious group um, that works by peer pressure gets to about 150 or so, they have to split into two because they can't keep people under control. Um, in, a, in a group of people forming a company, you got a great idea, you start a company, you're going to make this sort of wonderful product. When you get to about 150, you have to then bring in a formal structure. So that's the natural size of a group. But the point is that we are wired up to tell stories. So that's the third part. I turn everything into a story, which I can then remember as a single block of information. Yeah. But it takes about uh, between um, three to ten hours to generate a ten-minute story. So, mm-hmm. oh, Sorry, a three-minute story. So that, that's the answer to the question. How do I remember stuff? I was well-educated. Thank you, Australian government. I read a lot and I turn everything into stories. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Speaking of this storytelling, you brought up TikTok earlier. Yeah. I want to ask, um, our demographic is mostly teenagers, young adults. Um, you found a way to use TikTok, Instagram and YouTube reels, short videos, and they obviously have a bit of a negative stigmatism. Negative? Tell me more. I hear a lot. Um, just how social media is really bad for the brain, how it's kind of degradating. Degrading. Degrading, sorry, thank you, to um, teenagers that are just sitting there scrolling hours on end instead of um, sitting up, doing something productive. I was wondering how you've used that to your advantage so much. Where did you find that? Well, have, have a look. So see my demographic there? I've got half a million followers. You got the yeah. So what's the ratio of male-female? Uh, 39% male to 61% female. So two-thirds female. And then slide across to the side and look at the age groups. Yeah. 25 to 34-year-olds is the highest demographic. How many? What percent, roughly? Uh, 41. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So um, there's an old saying that all that's needed for evil to win is that good people do nothing. Yeah. And in the early days, I realised that um, from a little study I read that during the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, when, and I don't know why they picked only females, but females aged 13 to 19, in their first 35 minutes of going on TikTok, what sort of number is 35? What's, why not 30? Anyway, um, uh, something like 90% of them were told lies about COVID and 70% were told lies about the vaccine. Yeah. And so I figured I had to go onto, COVID, uh, onto TikTok to set the record straight. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a saying in TV uh, land uh, it goes something like this, darling, TV is not for watching, it's for making. Yeah. You don't watch it, you make it. Other people watch what you do. Yeah. It's very arrogant, I know. TV is like that. So um, is the is a new thing um, uh, and our brains are not quite up to it. Have you seen the movie The Social Dilemma on Netflix? I haven't, no. I highly recommend it's, it's that. it's on my list. Yeah, it's a um, bit scary. Um, so the first smartphones really came out around 2009 mm-hmm. and um, suddenly you had access to the internet. In my case, I was walking across Spain with my family um, and we could use it as a translation device and take photographs and get onto the internet and text. Uh, data was expensive. It was um, 
uh, instead of like fifty dollars, uh, you know, for a hundred gigabytes, it was forty thousand dollars for one gigabyte. So it cost me a lot of money to get a- access to the internet. You know, like four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. It was enormously expensive, but nevertheless, I did it because it was um, the only way in those days. And I sent back pictures. Um, but for the first time, people could have access to TV without parental control. But, and so what that meant was that very quickly um, you could have your own smartphone and you could see people having sex or decapitating each other or murdering each other mm-hmm. without parental control. And that was one bad thing. Yeah. Um, because the human brain isn't fully cooked until around the mid-20s. You, you kind of know when your brain's cooked when you turn into a boring adult and you can't stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning anymore. Or you can't drink your own body weight in beer, smoke your own weight in marijuana and be perfectly fine the next morning. Uh, so mid-20s the brain gets fully cooked and you know it when you start having adult sleep patterns. But until that time, uh, the brain can be twisted by what comes in. And so there's a whole um, long history of family, the, 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 the tribe taking care of the next generation and um, bringing along what they think is the right pathway, which sometimes can be barking mad. Mm. So is social media bad? It can be bad. It can be good. Um, a truck can carry chemical weapons or it can carry fava beans. Yeah. Technology and like social media, they can bring like negative things to things. So you could it could ruin your mental health if you get shamed or something. But, like, what's something that uh, social media can can benefit? Like, what we can benefit from it? Well, let's look at that negative one that you mentioned. So in that movie, um, the social dilemma, they talk about how immediately after the the whole um, world of smartphones took off. Um, there was a one and a half to two times increase in young uh, females of self-harm and suicide uh, because there were some for whom looking fabulous was a big part of their life and I fully understand that and they didn't appreciate that some of the influencers were spending five hours um, looking, you know, getting made up and exercising all the time to look really good and they thought, well, I spent uh, an hour every day for the last week and I don't look that good, I'm a failure and so bad things would happen and you're getting um, of course straight out lies and you, uh, until your brain's uh, fully cooked around the mid-twenties and that's only um, one part of the fully cooked thing, um, you're very easily traumatised, catastrophized, and you can um, react strongly to something that you don't in the fullness of time realise you don't need to re- react strongly to. So you can have the bad effects of social media with people feeling really bad about themselves or and, and there's a concept of being shamed. Um, people attack me in waves on TikTok whenever I mention anything about COVID vaccines um, and I've decided and, and um, global warming and I get such thrill out of blocking them. And they make all sorts of accusations about me and my personal life. Doesn't bother me one bit. Block, 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 block. And um, sometimes I have to block maybe 200 in the morning. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. There's little bot farms and you can see them waking up as people um, wake up across the United States of America uh, and we've managed to track them back to where they geographically live. And sometimes they get up at 10 o'clock and then they wake up and look at what their job is for the day and they'll get paid, you know, $4 an hour for going and telling lies and so they'll go off and tell lies. Mm. 
So it's, it's a strange world where you don't have direct one-to-one accountability. So if you come up to somebody and say something bad to them, then they know you said it to them. But if you're anonymous, then you don't have that same responsibility and accountability. Mm. Um, it's an evolving landscape and I don't know where it's going to end up. And yeah. especially with AI as well, that's really going to change things. Yeah, yeah, definitely right about that one. So there are, this is my answer, I definitely don't know. Mm. <laughs> I find it difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. Yeah. When it comes to these habits of teenagers, what do you think, from your perspective, what is some of the worst and best um, habits that we really fall into that we need to both embrace and avoid? Ah, all I'm seeing is the good stuff. Like mm. um, my kids, um, as they were growing up, had a far greater sensitivity and emotional IQ than I ever had. Mm. And are far more open in talking about things. And I really am, am, am thrilled to have watched them do that and felt a bit sad that I didn't, I wasn't that good at myself at my age. Mm. Um, bad habits? Um, nothing really. It's just dependent on your body of knowledge. So um, I'm always talking to people and I realised that the, I was talking with the person who drove me to the airport on the way here. And they were quite an intelligent person, but um, they got their entire news feed from Instagram. And so I went down a bit of a just a mild exploratory pathway with them. And as far as they, they were concerned, um, there is no such thing as the COVID virus. It's just an influenza virus. And they didn't realise that... Uh, the, the, so by sticking to a very narrow pathway of getting knowledge from the world, they were... and then filtering it themselves in their own brain, they were getting a very narrow world of the view, world view which turned out to be inaccurate. Jeez, yeah. Okay. Can I ask, how old roughly was this person? Did they really fall into like the um, over 50 they category? They were 23. They could speak four languages, um, Farsi, Urdu, Hindu and English. Yeah. They were from Pakistan and they were trying desperately to survive here, being ripped off by the crappy education system that we have in Australia at the moment, yeah. which is there to make money for a small number of people rather than provide education for a large number of people. Mm. And so they were finding it difficult surviving in life, working really hard, not making any money, not getting ahead. And I can understand why they just um, stick to one streaming platform and get all their news and views of the world from that because it was easy. Living if- in a foreign country, uh, being very poor. Yeah. Do you have, can I ask, do you have any advice for this like young adult, teenage genre of um, people? Yeah. Um, in public buildings, the and most people never learn this in their whole life. In public buildings, the toilets are usually near the elevators. I get, like I've never noticed that, but... You're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. Like, usually. And um, another one, never have sex with anybody who has more problems than you do. The sex is great, but you'll pay for it. Some people never learn that in their whole lives Yeah, Try to stick to the facts, Mm -hmm. ignore opinions Yeah, Uh, Get educated whenever you can Just learn new stuff whenever you can Yeah, Um, Don't be afraid of making mistakes If you don't make a mistake, you don't make anything But just don't keep on making the same mistakes over and over Try to make different mistakes so you can learn from them Love that one, I like that one there be, there's been a fair bit of a push for women in STEM recently, especially young aspiring um, scientists. Do you have any messages for any teens, young adults, any female person who would really like to look into the science, engineering, technology and maths industry? 
um, obviously give it a go. Um, brains and, and particular skills are not related to sex or gender or skin colour or religion or height or ethnic origin. They just come out of nowhere. Mm. So give it a go. Um, and you might find it's what you really love or you might find having done it for a while that you have accidentally discovered that your true love is 17th century Mongolian literature. Well, yeah. In that case, go for that as well. On the other hand, it is good to try to get into something where you can make an income because the situation is that we currently live in a society where you need an income to survive and you our society does not reward certain parts of um, society such as the creative musicians and the poets um, and the authors and so forth. And that's just wrong of our society not to do that. And there is, in varying places, more or less degree of antagonism or hostility to groups coming into different fields like science. So there are some very male-dominated areas of science and some that are not. Uh, give it a go and uh, and I hope you're happy. And if I can be of assistance academically, uh, give me a ring at the University of Sydney. I, I can't help with clothing or relationship advice, but I can <laughs> help with academic advice mm. or cooking advice. can't help with that either. <laughs> right. So just ring me University of Sydney. It's in a phone book. Understandable. Well, that's very nice of you. Can we ask you a couple quick short-fire science questions? That's my job. Before we, before we pop off. Um, this one was mine. I did get it from the internet, from... Um, Google, so I could be very wrong here, but do you know anything about Gliese 436b? Can I ask how this planet can be made of burning ice? Does that concept make any sense? Uh, Yes and no. Um, Ice is one of the three states of matter, which is solid, and the other two major states are liquid and gas. Mm -hmm. So you can have an ice, which is just a solid. Uh, a solid can burn. And so we've got methane clathrate, which exists on the bottom of the Bermuda Triangle and many places on the ocean floor, where you get this weird ice that forms at a few degrees above zero and it contains methane. And if you release it and then ignite it in the presence of oxygen, it will burn. Yeah. Is that what they're talking about on, on this one? I, I can't give you more detail. I'm so sorry. Let me look it up. What's but, um, it called? Gliese. G-L-I-E-S-E. Uh, 436B. Okay, so um, it's orbiting a red dwarf. Most of the stars in the universe are red dwarfs. And they're fairly cool. And we've actually come across a weird situation that we've found a few planets that are hotter than most of the stars in the universe. Isn't that weird? That is not anything I knew. And so the the first thing is that red dwarfs are most of the stars in the universe. And sometimes they can be fairly cold. And if you've got a planet that happens to be orbiting very close into a very hot star, that planet... Um, and there's only a few of them, can be hotter than most of the stars in the universe, which are red dwarfs. It was a hot Neptune. Okay, so Neptune refers to the size of it, maybe nine, ten times the uh, mass of the Earth. Um, not the size, the weight. Uh, and hot means that it's close in to the sun. So the weird thing about exoplanets is that they've most of them fall into one of two categories that do not exist in our solar system. The first category is super-Earths, and the second one are hot Jupiters, so something like Jupiter. But instead of being way out in the sticks and taking um, 10 years to orbit the sun, they orbit the sun in four days. 
So they're a hot Jupiter. So this is a hot Neptune. It's discovered by the radial velocity thing. It's like looking at a spinning wheel, bicycle wheel that's got a weight on it and it oscillates backwards and forwards because it's unbalanced. And so we discovered it by looking at a star wobbling backwards and forwards as it moved across the sky as opposed to the transit method where the planet appears on a line between the star and us. Um, blah, blah, blah. Ah, thin outer envelope of hydrogen and helium gas, surface temperature of 439 degrees C. I don't see anything... Oh, in 2019, USA reported that the exoplanet's burning ice continued to have scientists flabbergasted. Okay, now here's a very important thing to learn, uh, which fits into the advice category. Is it true or did you read it in the Daily Mail? Sorry, I read it in one of those little tabs on Google that um, when you Google a planet, it's like the recommended questions. Right, so that could have been written by Crazy Fred on Facebook. you got no idea. (laughs) Um, So if somebody lying in a pool of their own vomit in the street gave you a bit of paper, um, would you take any notice of it? No. Um, uh, So you, you don't know where it came from. You've got to follow it back. Wikipedia is a good source. So it's got a hot ice. Ice just means that it's a solid. That's it. But is it a water ice or is it a methane ice? doesn't say. So I've just fallen victim to this um, very thing true? we were talking about earlier. Yep. The, yeah. So you've got to follow it through more deeply. So um, normally it takes me 10 hours, 5 to 10 hours, to come up with a three-minute block of knowledge in my head. Mm-hmm. The one that really killed me, have you heard of blockchain, Bitcoin? Yeah. Yep. So understanding the blockchain just about killed me. That took me about 40 hours. And I should have actually bought some Bitcoin at the time, but I didn't. But that's one of my big mistakes in life, many of them. It takes time to understand anything. And so you can't necessarily believe the first headline you read. Okay? Yeah. The answer is I don't know. Yeah, okay. Okay, <laughs> might, might be in the, Next, next science question, yeah. of which I don't know the answer to. Yeah, This is taking a little bit more of a darker turn, but sure. if, if we die in the sunlight, do we still get sunburned? Our, our skin is dead at that point, is it not? Yes. I'm, I'm working this out on the run. In your body, you've got 37 trillion cells, roughly. Your skin is your largest organ, weighing 16% of your body weight. An inner layer called the dermis, and that's basically connective tissue, collagen and elastin and a whole bunch of other chemicals. Collagen is the most common protein in your body. 40% of protein in your body, it's a triple helix. That's not really going to be affected that much by mild sunburn. But then there's the next layer out, the epidermis. So what you've got there is a bunch of skin cells. So they start off at the bottom as cylinders, and then they'll migrate to the surface. And as they migrate to the surface, they become shorter and fatter and go from cylinders, long cylinders into short cylinders, into balls. And by the time they get to the top, they're flat cobblestone. So they've completely changed their shape. And then they die at the surface. And your skin has a dead coating of dead skin cells, which is slightly oily because of the bilamina membrane about around all the cells in your body, this fatty membrane. So the ultraviolet, so suppose you die, you're not getting blood pumping through your skin, you're not getting any metabolism going on in your cells because you don't have any oxygen to feed them because your metabolism happens entirely because of a chemical called adenosine triphosphate. It's got three phosphates. The third phosphate is stuck on really weakly, so you just have to give it the tiniest flick and you get a big lump of energy. You know, you put in two units of energy, you get 100 units of energy back. And so you stop manufacturing that as soon as you run out of oxygen. So your skin has essentially stopped metabolizing, but it's still physically there. So the skin cell is physically there even though you're dead. And there's little machines in there that are also dead. 
and they can be damaged by our sunlight, sunlight and heat. I'm trying to work out, the actual light is not going to damage them. The heat normally doesn't damage them because you've got a metabolism going on where the blood's flowing and you're carrying the heat away. I reckon that a dead body could get sunburned. The the person who would know would be a pathologist. And I reckon you could get a bit of damage to a, uh, a corpse, to the skin of a corpse, if it was left in really bright sunlight uh, under hot, dry conditions. Yeah. Yeah. You certainly get drying out and desiccation. Would you get actual sunburn? Sunburn is inflammation. And inflammation is not just a simple thing. So before I studied medicine, I thought inflammation just means it's a bit, I don't know, red and inflamed. And then when you do medicine, you spend three weeks studying inflammation and you pop out after three weeks thinking, I know nothing about inflammation. Basically, you're opening up the 100,000 kilometres of blood vessels in your skin. That's a lot of uh, blood vessels. Yeah. Um, the blood vessels can vary between totally shut and totally open and they're normally somewhere in between and they cycle. So in your skin, some of them will be more open than others and they all take turns in being more open and less open and it's all run by various local intelligences that we don't understand yet. So in inflammation, which is the sunburn, you've got the blood vessels open and so you've got a reddish tinge to the skin. Mm. Can you get that reddish tinge to the skin if you're dead? Is there another pathway by which you can get a reddish tinge to the skin? And I'm kind of thinking possibly yes, but you'd really need a pathologist, who's somebody who's done a yeah. medical degree and then spent 10 years studying pathology. They, they would have the answer. That was enough facts for me. I'm <laughs> happy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're just probably going to wrap up now, but I've got one one final question. Probably yeah. get it a million times. We haven't asked it yet, but your shirts, you have lots of colourful shirts. Uh, just like, where do you get them and then how do you pick what you're going to wear? Uh, I have my own personal couturier, uh, <laughs> my wife. This is, uh, shirt uh-huh. is a uh, University of Sydney shirt yeah. uh, and it's made by some company that makes bright shirts um, and it's bright and cheerful and I like bright shirts. Um, the shirt I was going to wear today was a, have you heard of Frida Kahlo? Shirt, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so it was, it's a shirt with um, her face and lots of patterns, but they want me to yeah. wear this shirt, so I'm wearing this one instead. Uh, so my wife makes my shirts. It, uh, they're always out of cotton. Uh, they take um, three hours to make. Uh, she does most of the work with a four-thread overlocker with differential feed and the rest of it on a sewing machine. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Impressive I have, lady. I'm yeah. very lucky. Uh, and I've got um, two pockets. Uh, th- this does not have a little... Uh, this, this company-made shirt doesn't have a little stitched seam for the pocket, for the pen, but it does have a little bit at the top where there's a break in the flap where you can shove the pen in, which is kind of nice. Yeah. So I like being able to have a pen. And, of course, I have um, the Fisher Space Pen over here, which will write uh, underwater and uphill. And over here I have uh, paper, which is not made of carbon but silicon. So um, it's waterproof. So I can, if I have a, if I happen huh. to be simultaneously nude in the shower with my <laughs> shirt on, and I have a brilliant thought, I can then write it down in the shower. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet, but one day I'm ready for it. <laughs> if 
if ever it happens. If it happens. Yeah. It's a very I'm likely scenario. Uh, I've, I've tried it. Like one time I was very convinced that I had discovered the secret to the universe when I had, um, in, in one of my dreams. And so um, I went to bed the next night with a bit of paper and I kept on telling and a pen saying, you know, to myself, write down, write down, write down when the secret comes. And then I woke up in the morning, I had a bit of paper on, on it, I'd written about 50 times, write it down. <laughs> Again, I missed the secret of the universe. Damn, I was that close, man. <laughs> Got to keep trying. Yeah. So thanks for coming down. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, it's been wonderful. Yes, yeah. it was an absolute hoot having you on. Yeah. <laughs> Loved it. Oh, shuck, I'm not with it. Thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> so um, aside from his weekly appearances on Triple J, Dr. Carl actually has his own podcast called Shirtloads of Science. So if you loved hearing him here, I'm sure you'll love some of his latest episodes. On that note, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to the Good Talk Great Mate podcast from your hosts, Alex and Kate. Thank you for listening to the Good Talk Great Mate podcast. This podcast is proudly supported by the Narrabri Shire Council. If you or a mate needs help, check out our show notes for more helpful resources. Episodes in this podcast series do discuss mental health issues and suicide. If you or a mate is in crisis, please call Lifeline 13 11 14, Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800, or on the Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467. Or you can talk about support available with your doctor or a local rural mental health coordinator. And mate, it'd be great if you subscribed, gave us a follow, and shared this episode with your friends. Catch you next time.